0: All right, we are in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 23 today. Um, if you would, please turn your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible, we've got them in the back. There are, my sermon notes are also in the foyer, if you would like to follow along uh, with me. As you turn to Matthew chapter 10, let me review. We've been going through Matthew's Gospel verse by verse here, and uh, really over the past few weeks, we've we've watched Jesus commission and ordain his disciples. He's turned them into apostles. And last Sunday, Jesus gave these men the first set of instructions for a short-term mission trip here. He told them where to go and where not to go. He told them what to take and what not to take. He told them what to preach. And he even uh, he, he gave them His supernatural powers, His miraculous powers to prove, once again, that His message, this gospel message, is absolutely true. Uh, Jesus also told them the consequences of those who uh, choose not to believe in the gospel message. Well, today Jesus continues His instructions. So at the same time, He's giving the apostles these instructions. He's preparing them emotionally, spiritually, spiritually. And also physically for how people are going to respond to this message. Today we're going to be studying the reality of a gospel-centered message. Um, You know, unlike many of, of today's pastors and churches where the message is all about how to have your best life now. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't preach that message. He prepares the apostles instead For the reality of what's getting ready to happen, the disappointment, the frustration, and even the the persecution that's coming their way. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is teaching this message, and I find this fascinating. He's preaching this message, teaching the apostles during their commissioning and their ordination ceremony. I mean, at my ordination, there was a time of question and answer so, you know, the, these, these elders and the pastors, they want to make, they want to make sure that, that I knew things theologically, but more but mostly it was more of a celebration. It was a celebration of what God was doing in my life to teach and preach. But if one of those men would have got up and preached this message to me during my ordination, I'd be like, whoa, I better think twice about what God's getting me into here. That's the severity of this message. Now, these these instructions are both descriptive of what took place with the apostles, and others are prescriptive for us to replicate today uh, for the Great Commission. Now, it is important for us to notice the difference here, because if we get these things backwards, we're going to end up all wonky. We're going to end up in some kind of cult trying to handle snakes, right? We don't want to do that. Um, That is not a good thing to do. Uh, Lastly, we're going to see Jesus provide reasons why the persecution is coming and really why there's so much hatred uh, for us today as Christians. So and I think, you know, this message, especially in our time and our culture, it really is timely because, as you guys know, you see the news, you see what's going on, it's getting stranger by the minute, isn't it? So this is a very, very timely message. So let's see what the Lord has for us. If you would, please stand now for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. Just as we sang those songs together, let's read God's Word together. Starting in verse 16. Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves, Beware of them, because they will hand you over to local courts, flog you in their synagogues. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me, to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour, because it isn't you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, you flee to another. For truly I tell you, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man." Guys, these are the the words from God himself. Uh, These words are authoritative in our lives. They tell us what to do and what not to do. They are infallible. They are a Holy Spirit given, um, and they are inerrant. Father in heaven, the psalmist writes, the Lord is a refuge for the persecuted a refuge in times of trouble. Father in heaven, we're going to learn about persecution today. And we praise you, we thank you uh, that you are our refuge, you are, you're our rock, you're our fortress when we have times of trouble. So Lord, show us what it looks like, how to handle um, persecution, how to handle the, the laughing, the scoffing, When we share Jesus day by day, what does that, what does this passage mean for us today? After we leave, uh, after we leave this morning, as you continue to put people in our lives to minister to and share the hope of the gospel, show us how this works. And it's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Thank you. All right, let's take a deeper look here at verse 16. Jesus says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Now, your translation there, instead of look, it may say behold. Um, The idea here is to pay attention to what I'm saying. Jesus said, look, boys, this is really, really, really important. Pay attention. And he goes on to say, look, I'm sending you out. So once again, notice who is doing the sending. We saw this last week. Jesus is the one doing the sending. He's the one that's in charge. It's, this is his message. And this is his plan. So in other words, the 12 apostles are not to do their own thing, right? That They're not making this stuff as they go. They're not doing what is right in their own eyes. They are following the master's plan. And from last week, we learned that Jesus has a plan. The apostles, they are carrying this plan out. Really, these are divine orders. Just as we as the church today, we have divine orders as well. It's called the Great Commission. Jesus continues. He says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now, time out. That doesn't sound right sheep among wolves. I mean, shouldn't it be the other way around, Jesus? Shouldn't it be wolves among the sheep? I mean, wouldn't Jesus' sermon just motivate the apostles just a little bit more if they were wolves? Is this a typo? Did Jesus misspeak? Did he make a mistake? No. No. See, here's the the, the irony, right? Sheep are the most dependent, helpless, and stupid of all domesticated animals. The, the, The only thing sheep do to protect themselves is run. Have you ever seen a sheep run? They're not very good at it. They got big old bellies, little matchstick legs. They're not very good at it. And the greatest threat to sheep are wolves. And the apostles, bam, they're like, ooh, this this is not a good analogy, Jesus. So it's clear, right? Jesus is sending the apostles into enemy territory. That's what Jesus is telling them. Now, this is a bit unusual because actual shepherds don't usually do this with their sheep. And here we've got the good shepherd doing precisely that. Why? Why is Jesus doing this? Well, evidently this is where the apostles can serve Jesus best, and they can be trained the fastest. Uh, This message that Jesus gave his apostles, it's it's similar to uh, the message that Winston Churchill gave his soldiers back in 1940. They had to evacuate Duncan. Uh, Dunkirk, and Churchill said to his soldiers, he said, look, guys, all I can give you right now is blood, sweat, and tears. So suppose Churchill refused to send his soldiers out into battle without the truth, under false pretenses. How much more is Jesus not going to do that as God incarnate? Jesus is going to tell his apostles the truth. Well, evidently Timothy, he was being persecuted because Paul wrote to him in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, hey Tim, everybody wants to live a godly life, or everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now this doesn't mean that Christians will always be persecuted. doesn't mean that. I mean, even Jesus and the apostles didn't experience constant persecution in their lives. But please know that if we do call ourselves Christians today, right? If we're doing our job at sharing Jesus day by day, at some level, there's going to be some pushback. Jesus continues here at verse 16. He says, therefore, therefore, because I'm sending you out into enemy territory, you got to be shrewd. As serpents. In Egyptian uh, hieroglyphics, serpents symbolize wisdom. Shrewd. Shrewd, it means to be wise, it means to be discerning, it also means to have common sense, and you gotta have some good judgment. It means all of those things. So, as Christians, we need to learn these things, especially when we're dealing with the world. And we're sharing Jesus day by day. The basic idea here is to say the right thing at the right time at the right place. But Jesus goes on. He goes, well, not only are you to be as shrewd as serpents, but also innocent as doves. Doves represent purity, innocence. Doves are harmless creatures, aren't they? Jesus means that we are to, be, to represent the purity of the gospel, we are to be faithful to God's word. Now, this is interesting because doves are also famous for their fearlessness, although they're pretty naive animals. Doves are the last birds to flee when, when humans approach. So in other words, the lesson so far from Jesus is that Christians are, are not to compromise the gospel, but we're... We're supposed to share it with grace and truth, so we are to remain active. We're to engage our family and our friends, coworkers, um, but we also want to be careful. We also want to be discerning when we when we read people. How are they receiving this message? The greatest missionary who ever lived, the apostle Paul, he said it this way. He wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter nine. He says, "When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew." to bring the Jews to Christ. And then when I was with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. And and really, here's the whole thing. I want to find some common ground with everyone. That's what the Apostle Paul's teaching here. Why? He wants to do everything that he can to save some. He goes, I I do everything to spread the good news and share its blessing. So we are to be wise as snakes and innocent as doves. Many, many years ago, I don't know, this is probably 10 or 15 years ago now, uh, there was a a news story about uh, a 25-foot boa constrictor that got into someone's basement in Florida. The only way the family knew that the snake was there was because of the 25-foot skins that it would shed. Now, would that creep you out? Yeah. The family couldn't find him. They looked, and they looked, and they could not find this 25-foot snake in their home. He was shrewd, wasn't he? he was discerning. He was tricky. I want you to think about this. He was somewhere in the crevices, somewhere in the basement. How did that snake do that? This huge snake, he doesn't have any arms, he doesn't have any legs, and yet he's he's in stealth mode, isn't he? So if you feel handicapped like that, if you feel like, wow, I'm fearful of of not knowing enough when I share Jesus, or maybe I I don't, you know, I'm fearful that people are going to be um, not liked me. Jesus is saying, look, we have to be as wise as a serpent with how you witness and harmless as a dove. Now, let me say this, (laughs) because some people are not wise in sharing the gospel. Some people, and I'm not going to point any fingers in here, Um, they're just abrasive, and they're rude. And then they get themselves into trouble, and they call that persecution. That's not persecution. That's stupidity. That is not being gentle and wise and discerning and loving. Verse 17, Jesus goes on to say, look, guys, Beware of them because they will hand you over to local courts and they're going to flog you in their synagogues. So the apostles are to beware. They are to be on guard, cautious, alert of them. Now, who's the them? Well, it's the people who will violently reject the apostles' message here, the gospel message. The disciples are being warned here. Some people are not only going to point and laugh as they share this message, but some people will actively oppose and try to punish them. Verse 17 continues, Because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. That word handed over, it's got some dark overtones to it. It often means betrayed. So we see that phrase many, many times as Jesus was arrested and executed, don't we? It all began when Judas Iscariot handed Jesus over. He betrayed him to the Jewish authorities. They're also going to flog you in their synagogues. Flogging. Uh, Your translation may say scourging here. This was a form of punishment in the first century, It was a beating, it was a striking, um, basically someone with a whip, like a leather belt. Uh, Sometimes they would use a a wooden paddle. If you've seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, there was an extended scene of Jesus being flogged. Now, there is a difference there. What you saw in that movie um, was Roman flogging, and what Jesus is talking about here is Jewish flogging. Romans, what they did is they created their whips that had glass in it, had nails in it, had sharp stones that would basically rip the skin away from the body. Jewish flogging only had the leather whip. Um, The the Jews also set a limit to how many times someone could be struck. The Romans did not. Many, many times a Roman flogging that person would die. So Jesus is saying, look, you're going to be flogged. In the synagogues. Uh, verse 17 continues here. The the synagogue is is similar to today's local church. However, it's also a place where court was held. Um, discipline was carried out for those who broke the law in the local synagogue. And here's what it looked like. Basically, if you were tried and you were convicted of a crime, um, one judge would call out the sentence, another would announce the punishment. One more judge would, uh, one or more people I guess would, would do the actual flogging or striking um, and an- another group of people would count the lashes. Sometimes scripture was sung while someone was being beaten. Um, psalms were, excuse me, scripture was read and psalms were sung. Um, So in other words, yeah, they would actually beat people in front of the entire congregation for breaking the law. Wow. We fast forward a few years and we know this happened because the Apostle Paul tells us. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, he says, I have worked harder, I have been put in prison more often, and here we go, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again, he goes on to say five times, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes and three times I was beaten with rods. So the Apostle Paul, even though he wasn't there at this moment, he fulfills Jesus's prophecy in all of that. And guys, he did it to the glory of God. If you know uh, how what Paul did in the New Testament, he did it to the glory of God. Verse 18. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me. So, Jesus becomes much more specific here in whom some of these wolves are that he's talking about in verse 18. So, the first set of wolves, we just met them. They were the religious leaders, they were the, the pastors, the priests, and the ministers of the day. That's the first set of wolves. The second set is the government. Now, if the apostles weren't scared up to this point, they definitely are now. Because the apostles, they're simple men, right? They're manual laborers before they met Jesus. They are not politicians. They don't have the stamina. They don't have the skill to speak before a king. Think of all the kings and the governors and all the VIPs in Scripture. We got Pontius Pilate, Felix and Festus in the book of Acts. We've got King Herod Agrippa 1 and 2, and even King Herod Antipas. So notice here that nearly everything that Jesus prophesies about the apostles actually happens to him first. Jesus was taken before the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. He was beaten. He was flogged. He was then taken before the Roman governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. So All that to say that we've got no mention that the apostles were actually persecuted on this short-term mission trip. But we do know that people start to persecute them after Pentecost in the book of Acts. And this brings us to key point number one. What happens to Jesus happens to his followers. What happens to Jesus happens to his followers. Verse 18 continues. He says, You will even be brought before governors and kings. Why? Because of me. Jesus, he's explaining why the government is is so vicious. It doesn't have anything to do with them. Jesus says, all of this is going to happen to you because of me. A great example of this is is Paul's uh, conversion Before the Apostle Paul was Paul, he was named Saul, and he was a fire-breathing Christian-hating Pharisee. The story picks up here in Acts 9. Let me show you this. So Saul was uttering threats with every breath. He was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Look at that. He was eager to kill Christians. So he went to the high priest. Why did he go to the high priest? Because he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus. He was asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way, the Christians, that he found there. Why? Did, why? He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. He wants to persecute them and he wants to kill them. So Saul, this is amazing. Saul was one of the people that Jesus warned the apostles about. That was until Saul got kicked off his high horse, right? Literally. Uh, And he gets saved. Look at this, verse 3. So as Saul was approaching Damascus on his mission, his mission to kill Christians, to persecute them, a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. He fell to the ground. Heard a voice saying to him, hey, Saul, hey, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Isn't that a good question? It wasn't about the apostles. It's always, guys, it's always about Jesus. Brings us to key point number two, the world hates Christians because the world hates Christ. Christ. The world hates Christians because the world hates Christ. Guys, look, the world doesn't hate you. They hate the Jesus in you. If you're a Christian, you got a target on your back. Keep in mind, Scripture makes no mention of carnal Christians or worldly Christians, if you've heard that term. Um, A carnal Christian, it means that people believe that you can become a believer and not change the way that you live. And carnal Christians will never be persecuted because they're not Christians at all. Back to verse 18. Jesus goes on to say, to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. Now this phrase, it's not easy to interpret here. There's three options, and let let me give these things to you. This phrase, it could mean that persecuted Christians that we are a living rebuke. We are bearing witness against the world. So in other words, Christians are—we're uh, living proof of how and why people need to repent of their sins, to call on the name of Jesus, and to believe that he actually walked out of, out of that grave, that he was resurrected. Why? Why did Jesus go through all of that? To pay the price for our sins. It could mean, number two, it could also mean that persecuted believers prove the gospel is true because nobody is going to live this Christian life, this life of purity, this, this life of righteousness, of being changed or even dying a martyr's death for believing a lie. An example of this is uh, during Jesus' crucifixion. Mark chapter 15, verse 39, when the Roman officer who stood facing him, so that's Jesus, he saw how he died, right? He watched the whole thing unfold. Jesus dies, and the Roman soldier who's seen who knows how many people die, he says, this man truly was the Son of God. Now, the third option here is to consider that really this this phrase, to bear witness, is both. That we as Christians were a living rebuke to the world and that we're also proving that the gospel is true. Verse 19, but when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak for you will be given what to say at that hour. Now, this verse is often taken out of context. This verse doesn't mean that preachers don't need to prepare for their sermons. If you're a Bible study teacher, it doesn't mean that you don't need to prepare for your lesson. I mean, if we think we can stand up here and expect the power of God just to whoop, just to be downloaded, it, guys, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Bible study teachers, preachers, pastors who preach the gospel, we are to be in continual confession of our sin. We are to be. Uh, praying constantly. And uh, yeah, there's a rigorous study to opening up these passages and actually handling the holy. Um, In fact, I had a pastor friend, he told me, you know, when I was young, I read this verse and I tested this verse. I decided not to study for Sunday sermon. I said, really? How'd that go? Awful. It was just awful. It was a complete flop, he said. And the reason it was a complete flop is because God can only draw out of you what he puts in you. And that's where the cooperation comes into play. Keep in mind, when you read scripture, context is always king. And the correct context in this passage is kings. It's the government officials here. So verse 20 he goes on to say it's it's not you speaking it's the spirit of your father speaking through you. Now this is new because Jesus mentions the holy spirit. After Pentecost everything changes for the apostles but at this point guys it is amazing that the apostles have got this far because they these these men are unregenerate They're not saved. They've been believing this and working. That's why it's so hard for them. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, Jesus goes on to say, look, brother will betray brother to death. And a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. So Jesus lists the last group of people. We could say that this is the last institution that will oppose the gospel. So first, we had the church. Secondly, we got the government. And now thirdly, look at this. We got our own families. We got the home. How scary is that? That believers are promised that they may be persecuted in their own families. Um, During the Roman persecutions of the second and third centuries, countless members of, of, uh, or countless Christians um, were turned into the government many by their own family members. Jesus goes on to say in verse 22, you will be hated by everyone. The idea of being hated by everyone here is society as a whole. Why is society going to hate the apostles? Uh, He continues, he says, because of my name. Because of my name. Jesus uses that phrase, my name, he uses it 33 times in the Gospels. It's fascinating. Now let me give you a, A couple examples here, Matthew 18.20, he says where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there among you. Matthew 19.29, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields, why? Because of my name will receive a hundred times more and you will also inherit eternal life. Gospel of John. Chapter 14, he says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Why? Because he wants to glorify his father. And then he doubles down in verse 14. He says again, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Well, why do you think that nearly every TV show or movie that's PG-13 and up, why are they always taking the Lord's name in vain? Have you ever wondered why scripture tells us because Jesus the name of Jesus Christ has power. And the only name people take in vain is the only name that can actually save. So if people don't want salvation, they actually curse the one who offers it. Verse 22, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This idea of enduring persecution, that certainly is a sign of of salvation. I mean, think about it. What, What does persecution do to a church? It eliminates the people that are there for all the donuts and the coffee. That's what persecution does. It gets rid of the fakes and the frauds. Please know that endurance doesn't produce, nor does it protect your salvation. Why? Because salvation is given by God's grace. Salvation, this this you being saved from your sin because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But what endurance does do, however, is it it proves that you truly are saved and God is, is changing you. We call this the perseverance of the saints. Jesus said it this way. In John 8, 31, he said, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. So to circle that in your Bible. Um, it's a conditional statement. If, if you do these things, we have a choice. Jesus never makes us do anything we don't want to do, but he says, you are truly my disciples. You're proving to be a disciple if you remain faithful regardless of what comes your way. I heard a story of a church somewhere in a hostile, war-torn country. They were having a worship service, and in walks a dozen men with guns and masks. They disrupt the worship service, and they say, All right, we are going to kill everybody who claims to be a Christian. If you are not a Christian, you can leave right now. So half the church left. After they left, uh, the men take off their mask, they lay down their guns, and they say, Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? I don't know if it's true, but it should be. (laughs) Verse 22, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, saved, please know this, guys, saved doesn't mean your safety, it doesn't mean that, that God's going to preserve your earthly life here, because we know people are being martyred all the time, and it's happening in our day, right? Uh, several weeks ago, we learned how the 11 out of the 12 apostles were, were murdered for their faith. So what saved means here is Delivered. You will be delivered. Delivered from what? Delivered from your sins. You'll be delivered from your sins. Now, keep in mind, deliverance may come in death. That's the message to the apostles. Verse 23, Jesus continues. He says, when they persecute you in one town, flee. Get moving. Flee to another town. So Jesus expects the apostles to keep moving here, uh, especially when persecution breaks out. Uh, By moving the apostles, they stayed on mission. That was their mission, to preach the gospel. The apostle Paul, uh, we see him doing this, don't we? He followed this example of planting churches. Um, Paul, boy, this guy, he had a habit of just starting a riot or getting beat. Uh, Persecution would become too heavy, and then he'd have to jet. He'd have to go to the next town. So he did exactly what the Lord Jesus tells him to do. Back to verse 23 here, Jesus says, For truly I tell you, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, this is a strange promise by Jesus. Um, it seems that Jesus is saying here that he's going to return before the apostles reached every town in Israel with the message. That's what it seems. But we got a problem, don't we? What's the problem? He hasn't come back yet. It's been 2,000 years. So, what's the deal? Well, verse 23 is a general principle from Jesus. And here's what I mean by that Christians will always have work to do when it comes to sharing the gospel. Um, there will always need people planting seeds of the gospel and people watering seeds. For the gospel. So, the disciples, they're not going to get to every town in Israel, just as we today are not going to get to all of the cities to preach the gospel ourselves, living out the Great Commission. So, that's the reality of ministry, right? Persecution, people laughing at us, people thinking that we're a joke, people making fun. It's just one thing after another. How does this relate to us in small-town Cottonwood today? Well, I think there's a reality of ministry um, for us today, and it impacts us two ways. Number one, individually, and number two, corporately. So let's let's talk about your individual ministries. Um, If you're a Christian, if if you've repented of your sin confess that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead then you are a christian you've been born again and when you're born again you've been gifted with some unique supernatural gifts um and really they're responsibilities these responsibilities are for one thing and that is to serve others um Not only are we to serve others, but Scripture tells us it's for the building up of the church, this sharing Jesus day by day. Um, wh- wh- why is that? Why are we to use these gifts that way? Because, guys, the body of Christ, the church, that's the only thing that lasts. It's the only thing that's eternal. Everything else goes away. So God has given some of you guys leadership abilities. He's given others of you administration gifts. Still others of you, you've got gifts of service, mercy, giving, and hospitality. So the reality of ministry for us today here in the Verde Valley is to be trained up in those gifts. Just because you have those gifts doesn't mean that you're really that good at using them yet. So you got to be trained up in them. And it is really to live in those gifts that God's given to you. All for the glory of God. Um, Now, if you don't know what those gifts are, uh, please consider joining us for our Foundations class starting in January. We're going to go through all of that. So that's individually. Secondly, corporately as a church, there is a reality for us too. And the reality of a church is that you're not alone. That there is community. there's, There's fellowship. Think about this. Jesus had 12. He poured his life into 12 men. From the 12, he had three. That was his inner circle. And from the three, he had one. That is a beautiful example of the church. Um, how about you? You guys have that kind of community in your life. You have the 12, the three, and the one. Um, our job as the church is to encourage you, to love on you, um, and really to make you a disciple so that you can go out and make other disciples. Let me give you two current examples of how this works as a church. Um, we've had some drama here in the Verde Valley over the past year, haven't we? Dealing with lots of sexual sin and people from out of town trying to, to, um, to do some things that we normally wouldn't do here in the Verde Valley. So um, maybe you won't stand in front of the mayor And tell him what a bad idea bringing children to a drag show is. But on the other hand, maybe you can pray for those that do. Because many of you did stand in front of the mayor. And many of you others were praying for those who did. Y'all with me? Oh, I just pulled a a Dr. Dallas Bivens, didn't I? Y'all with me? Maybe, you'll, maybe your gift is not to teach or to preach, but maybe your gifts are administration, so that you can send out emails, or you can make cards, or you can jump on the phone to let people know the date and the time of the Bible study. You see how that works? We're all different parts of the body here. And really, it doesn't matter what the gifts are, the reality is that we are to serve one another um, together. And that's the, that's the other thing. We don't do this isolated. We're not Lone Ranger Christians. Jesus never designed it that way. Next week we're going to be talking about fear. What does it look like to handle our fear when the reality of ministry comes at us? Well, let's just say you're, you're, you're fearful of many things. You're fearful of tomorrow. You're fearful of of your health. You're fearful of the finances. You're fearful of your grand or for your grandkids. There's just a lot of fear in your life. Where well, we're going to be addressing that topic next week. Here in a minute, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Let me pray for us before we we do that, and I'll give us some instructions on how to proceed. The Father in heaven. Uh, Thank you for teaching us the reality of ministry. Thank you for not holding anything back and letting us know the, the truth and letting us know the truth with your grace. Lord, I pray that we are a gracious people, that when we share Jesus day by day, we do it exactly the way that you would do it. So Lord, I pray for those opportunities this week for people who are struggling spiritually, physically, and emotionally, and they don't know where the answers are. Well, Lord, put them in our path so we can we can share the answer with them. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. 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 Amen.